0: All right, welcome everybody. This is Sean Reynolds here, joined by Ken Weeb, both of us from Sportsnet, for the second episode of Live with Kenny and Rennie, where we're trying to tackle local hockey issues here as related to the Winnipeg Jets, but doing so in a global manner. And we're going to be Very excited today to be welcoming Jennifer Botterill and Chris Johnston who are going to talk some issues with us here today. And right off the bat, Kenny, I think we got to get to the biggest news of the day and that would be Walter Gretzky. Uh, Absolutely sad news, Walter Gretzky passing away at the age of 82. Um, This guy has been a part of Canadian hockey lore for absolutely so long. Uh, I mean, I, I remember growing up as a kid, uh you you felt like you knew the guy he felt like he was your grandpa or that he had some kind of association to your life um just meant everything to hockey fans in canada seemed to be you know one of those as canadian as you get kind of guys uh and it seems like so many people have a story uh because he was so accessible you being one of those people tell everyone about your walter gretzky story
1: yeah, Sean. Uh, I was a university student back in 1998 at the University of Virginia, and with someone who had some intentions of getting into the sports media industry, I wanted to get to a game at Maple Leaf Gardens before it closed, and that was the last year of the, se- of, the of the historic building. So, uh, four buddy or three other buddies from Eltona took the plunge to Toronto uh, for Wayne Gretzky's last game uh, at Maple Leaf Gardens. Uh, as someone who grew up in Manitoba. Obviously, Wayne's connection with those, you know, ultimate oiler teams was something that, as a young teenage fan, you watched all the time. So I thought, what a, what better chance? And it just lined up with the schedule during the Christmas break uh, after exams. Flew to Toronto uh, prior to the game. Uh, you know, one of my friends, Jody Hildebrand, is a huge Gretzky fan, a Gretzky collector of jerseys and things of that magnitude. We went to Gretzky's restaurant uh, before the game for our pregame meal. And lo and behold, uh, four four kids from Eltona walk into Gretzky's restaurant, and who do we see at a corner booth? Uh, none other than Phyllis and Walter Gretzky. Uh, at first, you have that little bit of um, you know hesitance to interrupt, but it was also, it seemed like a sign from above that that you had to go over and say hello because you knew the welcoming nature of Walter, who you know for years had been welcoming people into his own home. Um, to show people where it all started for Wayne. And, and our, our experience and our interaction couldn't have been uh, more pleasant. Uh, Walter was so incredib- incredibly kind and gracious. Uh, he posed for pictures with us, and, and lo and behold, he also gave us the, the advice on which tickets to use. Uh, my, my other friend, Corey Friesen, uh, he was the one who got the tickets, but he got two sets of tickets. We weren't sure uh, which ones to use. So, naturally, we had Walter there, so we asked Walter, uh, you know, blues or greens, and he said, well, you know, uh, when I used to take Wayne to games, uh, we sat in these seats, so uh, we used those seats that game, and... Uh, Gretzky had two power play assists, but the moment was so much more than just the game itself. Uh, here was a hockey icon now playing with the New York Rangers, uh, and the fe- the building went absolutely bonkers when he got those two power play assists, and and the farewell that they gave him on his way off the ice was incredible. But again, for us, for for us four kids from Eltona, that initial interaction at Gretzky's restaurant with Walter was uh, was one none of us will ever forget. Uh, I know Walter had had some health issues lately, but uh, this is still incredibly sad news uh, for not only the hockey community, but he was a Canadian icon. Yeah,
0: yeah. Hi, my favorite part about that story, Kenny, is that you're not in the industry yet, right? Like we get access to, you know, and it's something I'd like to talk with CJ later on in the story or later on in the show, but we get access to so many athletes and, and you know, sometimes people who were your childhood heroes. But I, I love the fact that you're not, can weeb the sports reporter, your can weeb the want to be sports reporter? And that Walter Gretzky still has that time for you. Um, for me, I just think, like honestly, I, I don't. I think it's hard to uh, it, it's hard to overstate what he meant to hockey in Canada. I mean, are there backyard rinks in everyone's backyard? If not for Walter Gretzky, like I think he revoli- revolutionized the position of hockey dad in this country. I mean, once, you know, you saw those videos of Wayne Gretzky as a young kid skating around the ice, every hockey dad is trying to get their kid skating before they can walk is the old saying, right? And I just think, you know, how he handled that. uh, and, And not only that, but the positive message that I think that he brought to that role as hockey dad. If you followed how Walter Gretzky um, uh, handled Wayne Gretzky, uh, you were a dad who treated your kid with respect. You were a dad that told your kid that, you know, the sky was the limit, Uh, but you were a dad that didn't seem to put undue pressure or too much on on your son. And uh, I just think what a, phenomenal example and how lucky were we as canadians to have had as much access as we did to walter gretzky uh in the time uh gonna be immensely missed and what a loss here in canada Um, we should move on to the other story of the day and that's in the north division the calgary flames firing jeff ward and bringing their old coach back in daryl sutter um your quick take on this kenny
1: yeah, Sean, I mean, I, I was writing my column last night after the Jets game and tuned into the the end of the Flames game and all of a sudden on Twitter, things are happening and you're like, whoa, it's just one of those things that make you, that just catch your attention uh, right away. Uh, you know, Ryan Leslie was on our you know inaugural program last week and said that if things didn't turn around quickly, Jeff Ward could be in trouble and mm-hmm. um well, lo and behold Brad Treleving uh, makes the change even after a you know fairly dominant win against Ottawa we know this had been in the works we know there are quarantine issues to sort through obviously Daryl Sutter is uh, an iconic comes from an iconic hockey family uh, he was in Alberta so I don't know exactly how the quarantine issues will work there but it certainly won't be a two-week quarantine for him and Wow, uh, what a what a shock to the system! I mean, the Flames have been the only thing consistent about the Flames has been that they've been inconsistently yeah. <laughs> inconsistent, yeah. Uh, if you will, so for a long
0: uh, time now, yeah.
1: And uh, our colleague Eric Francis tweeted last night that a Flames source told him that this group needs a shock to the system. And uh, despite their, you know, beating the Jets in the bubble and being, you know, eleven seconds away from going up three-one in Dallas, uh, there hasn't been sustained playoff success for this group. Uh, The core group I think needs a bit of a jolt and uh, that's exactly what they're going to get because what we know about Daryl Sutter is he uh, demands a certain standard when it comes to work and if you're not willing to put in that standard or reach that standard uh, you'll either be sitting on the bench having your minutes reduced or you'll be sitting out entirely and um, I think Brad Schleving now on his fifth head coach there's some pressure in Calgary. There were high expectations for that group going into the year and and we'll see how they respond. I mean, this is obviously a uh, big news and a lot of players are going to be challenged and let's see how they respond to those challenges.
0: What does this mean for the Winnipeg Jets? I mean, I take a look at this and I think if the Winnipeg Jets are going to make the playoffs and I don't want to entirely write off the Vancouver Canucks but for simplicity's sake let's just say the way the standings shake down right now for the Winnipeg Jets to miss the playoffs they're going to need to be passed by you know not just Edmonton who's in the neighborhood but both the Montreal Canadiens And the Calgary Flames, two teams that are going through this process now of in a very short season, trying to figure out new coaches, figure out potentially tweaks to the system, trying to figure out a new personality. He's trying to get them going. And I mean, I I love the idea of a shock to the system. But if you're taking a look at the Montreal Canadiens, the very real fact of the matter is they made a coaching change. They've lost three of four games since. Yes, they earned points in three of those four games Um, but they are a team that's learning on the fly and we're very open about talking about learning on the fly to me it has to be an advantage for the Winnipeg Jets that they're set in their system they know what their coaches want from them they've got a pattern of behavior that is working and paying off for them right now and the fact that they're at this stage right now while the teams that are chasing them and need to outperform them to get to the playoffs are still trying to figure things out I think that bodes extremely well for the Winnipeg Jets.
1: Certainly could. I mean, uh, that, that you know, ability to learn on the fly is certainly integral for all teams, especially when we know there are going to be ups and downs. The Jets are one of the few teams in the NHL that still haven't lost consecutive games in regulation. And I do agree with you. I think part of that is because they're familiar, the familiarity with one another, with their systems play. But I think it was a matter of the status quo was not going to be acceptable in either place anymore. And I think we've already seen some uh, massive improvement. Um, from the Montreal Canadiens in those games. I mean, they've had, I mean, only probably two bad, two mediocre to poor periods, um, maybe three in that three-game set with the Jets specifically, and we know they played quite well against Ottawa. So they are learning quickly. I mean, the, the Calgary Flames are a group that um, needs to, to get going. I mean, they, they've, had, they've had nights where they've been exceptional. I think uh, Brad, uh, Brad Schleving told Eric Francis, I think, yesterday, They've had a lot of A games, and then they've had a lot of D games. They've had no B games. So if you can't find that middle ground, it's going to be awfully tough uh, to be competitive in the in the North Division. And the Flames are at that you know precipitous place where they don't want to fall out of the race. And they believe they've got an excellent team. They've got a Vesna caliber goaltender, and they think they should be doing a better job. So we'll see how it works out for them, but it'll be definitely a fascinating storyline to be following, that's for sure.
0: Well, quickly, I want to show off a little bit of the capabilities we have in this show. One is that if you are watching this, you can leave your comments or questions and we can bring them into the show. This is one I'm just going to show off that we can do this. Uh, but Pitt Bullover says, thoughts on old school coaching. I wanted to take this in this direction. We're going to do that later on in the program. So stay keep in mind, we'll get back to this question. But we first want to bring in one of our guests here today. Jennifer Botterill is coming in. To the program and she's the perfect person to talk to about a lot of these issues jennifer how are you doing
2: hi i'm doing really well thank you how are you
0: i'm doing great we are Good. so happy to have you on uh and you know i think you're someone who's phenomenal for us to talk to today in regards to some of the news that has come out um i mean when i think of you famous Canadians in hockey. You're one of them. Uh, Wayne Gretzky is up there. And and along with Wayne Gretzky is Walter Gretzky. Absolutely tragic news. We lost, you know, a very iconic Canadian. Um, Mm -hmm. And uh, just when you heard the news, what was your reaction?
2: Well, I think uh, as a Canadian involved in the sport of hockey, you can't help but have an extremely emotional reaction. And I had the absolute privilege to, to interact and to get to know Walter for different events. Uh, we did a number of features and, and uh, community events with Hometown Hockey. And, and many years ago, I worked on, on Gretzky.com. And so we did a lot mm. of different projects where Walter was involved. And I mean, what, a, what an amazing human being. I mean, he raised the, the greatest hockey player, but it's his personality, right? He just brought so much joy and sincerity And enthusiasm you know everywhere he went and what else was fascinating about him is that he he had time for everyone you know he people enjoyed his company but wherever he was at any event he was in high demand but he would make time you know to interact with with everyone so um, many fond memories for me and uh, just an amazing uh, legend in terms of his personality and what he brought to the game as a human being
0: well, Ken, that's that—that's the story Ken just told before you oh, got on. Uh, but before he was Ken Weeb, the sports reporter, uh, he was Ken Weeb, the hockey fan who saw him yes. at Wayne Gretzky restaurants and went and.
2: Yes.
0: Yeah, very interesting. Um, uh, your dad is another famous hockey dad, um, <laughs> and a, a hockey dad who who really kind of revolutionized the sport himself and in, mm-hmm. in tackling things from the mind side of mm-hmm. things. Because you know so much about that through your dad, what do you think it was you know, psychologically that made Walter Gretzky special?
2: I, just, I think his, his love and his appreciation for the game, right? And I think that was, was something that was uh, contagious in terms of, I think, how proud he was uh, of Wayne and, and the influence that Wayne had. And I think that was Wayne's approach to the game too, right, in terms of excelling as a, as a hockey player but doing so much beyond the game too and embracing every opportunity, uh, and certainly, yes, I feel very fortunate for the environment that I grew up in. Uh, but mm-hmm. if you look at that, that relationship, I mean, Wayne is, has always been vocal and expressive about his gratitude for his dad, right, and the important role that he's played. And so, I mean, that's the ultimate, I think, um, reward and the ultimate perhaps reinforcement for a dad and a parent, right, to see your kid uh, be so thankful as Wayne has been for his entire life.
1: Jennifer, the other part of it too is instilling of belief, right, that Cal had, the whole why not yes. you. You've told that story a lot, the why not me. Uh, can you? What can you say about the impact that had on you and your ability to become an elite athlete and an Olympian?
2: Oh, well, you know, I, as you know, Ken, that was sort of a, a turning point for me in my life and my career, both as a hockey player and as a person. It was that conversation when I had with my dad when I was 15, and that was the advice he gave me, and and for me, you know, I wasn't sure that I could make the Olympic team and that was his piece of advice and you know both of my parents I think were hugely influential for both myself and and my brother Jason and they were just I think um, you know a frame of mind and a perspective that we learned from a really young age that influenced us both in terms of the paths that we we wanted to take in our lives uh, and, and I think it's the same. I feel like you look at, at Walter and Wayne, right, in terms of, of the belief and the encouragement and, and providing your, your, your kid with every opportunity to be successful. And uh, certainly I know both Jason and I feel very thankful for the influence that, that my dad and, and both my parents had on us when we were young growing up.
0: What was it like around the supper table in your home (laughs) with, with, I mean, I, I, we we heard the stories of, and it was, it was a very different approach. I I think one of the things that your dad revolutionized with the game is almost the health of players and that the approach of how he took with things was was a very healthy approach and positive Mm -hmm. thinking and you know why not me the perfect example of Mm -hmm. that I mean was it just a a non-stop pep talk around the house was it (laughs) did you and Jason never fight at all was everything just you know (sighs) Uh, straight straight easy going too funny
2: well I would say (laughs) it was a very positive environment yes in the Botrell household growing up but I, I sort of describe it I say well it wasn't as though we had You know, formal sessions with our dad, (laughs) but it was just—I think—an environment. And and as you said, I think my dad was involved in, sort of uh, the—you know—groundbreaking in terms of performance psychology in hockey and in sport. Now it's it's common ground that it's just expected Mm -hmm. to to be an elite performer. That that's part of your preparation and your routine, and and one of the tools that you need as an elite athlete. And so. Um, I think that was just an approach that, you know, I certainly look at both my mom and my dad uh, in terms of how I want to be as a parent. And, and I embrace their approach. So, but, you know, I think one of the big things that, yeah, it was positive and it was encouraging. Uh, and there wasn't the pressure. Yes, they wanted us to, to be committed and to be dedicated and taught us about the effort and hard work. But it was never that you have to go and play for Team Canada or you have to be a hockey player. You know, they were—they wanted us to be involved in sport and to be healthy and to be active. But in the end, for both Jason and I, it was our decision on sports that we wanted to play in terms of schools or universities that we wanted to attend. We had great levels of communication, but I think there was always that unconditional support. So it was never a burden or a have-to. It was this encouragement. And so, yes, a positive environment, but I always give them credit for not saying they they applied they ever applied a ton of pressure on us that we had to, to do anything or, or reach a high standard in sport. That was something I think it was that internal motivation that they taught us about and encouraged us in, in many different ways.
1: Yeah. And what, and what did that combination of the, the passion and mental toughness and internal motivation play in that 2010 experience for you in Vancouver, Jennifer, yeah. uh, you know, obviously that season had had some challenges, but yeah. uh, it ended with a pretty big impact uh, on the golden goal.
2: Oh well, thanks for asking. Good memories for me uh, from uh, <laughs> from 2010, and I think as an elite athlete, you're going to have different phases in your career. And, and I remember even after 2006, so that had been my third Olympics, and I kind of wondered afterwards. It's such a demanding process in terms of the Olympic preparation, and as an elite athlete, um, and so I wondered, do I still love the game? And after reflection, I said. You know, absolutely. And I still believe that I'm getting better as an athlete and that I, I believe that I can help this team be successful at the Olympics uh, in Canada. And so, I mean, same thing. It, it was not a perfect year by any means, both personally or as a team. But I think when you came down to it, to that that big moment, which was, you know, it was. It was the ultimate moment, the biggest moment in, in our athletic careers, Olympic gold medal game in Canada. Uh, but I think that's... That's what all of that preparation had had led to in terms of how I wanted to feel as an elite athlete, in terms of embracing that moment. And there, there was actually a feature that was done on my dad and I leading up to the Olympics. And it's, it, you know, my dad was in Winnipeg. We were training in Calgary. And they said, well, what advice do you think your dad would give you, you know, in that moment? And so I answered the question in Calgary. He answered it in Winnipeg. And we had the same answer. You know, I said, I think he'd tell me to just enjoy the moment, uh, is what I think he'd say. And so... You know, you talk about as an athlete with an ideal performance state, and I always said I played with a free mind and an unburdened heart. And as intense or competitive as the moment may have been, uh, it's also enjoying it. And I think that all came together both personally and as a team in 2010 in that gold medal game, that it was intense, but I felt great, we felt great as a team, uh, and we loved that moment. And I think that's what helped us to perform so well on such a big stage.
0: Jen, you keep talking about that moment. How often do you replay that moment in your mind? I mean, but when you're lying down, head hits the pillow, does that just replay every night before you go to bed?
2: <laughs> I don't know if it's every night, but it certainly fills my heart with lots of gratitude. And, you know, you know, it was so special because so many people shared in it. And that's, that's what made it. The people that, that told us stories and the mom from Winnipeg that went to the outdoor rink the day after and her daughter who was six years old would just practice, her celebration on the ice. It was those kind of moments that made it, I think, resonate and really hit home. And so, uh, yes, I carry those very close to my heart. I don't know if it's a daily celebration, but it is, uh, I think, a sincere or a continuous moment of appreciation appreciation for, for that opportunity.
1: Yeah, and as someone who was in the building, uh, the look on your face as you came together with <laughs> Marie-Philippe Poulin after scoring that goal, I think that pretty much told the story of the entire experience for you Uh, we could could talk about this all day we only have a few more minutes with you Jen Uh, let's transition to your to your new role which you're excelling at Uh, you've had a chance you've had an opportunity to watch the Winnipeg Jets the last couple of weeks here Uh, what are your thoughts on uh, your hometown team and and what direction they're taking on this season
2: yes well I always follow the Jets right from from growing up in Winnipeg uh, and they? they're impressive, right? You look at the, the Jets and their top six. I mean, it's fun to watch them play. And, uh, you know, even last night I was doing a show and, and just the pregame we were watching and it was a Connor role. You know, I sort of just sat. I, I just said the, the, the Sharks, you know, I just like watching them play in terms of, of what they bring. And you look at the chemistry and, and I think the the depth of, of talent on the Jets team uh It's great to see. I think people are evolving. There's been, you know, a couple of recent lineup changes. You know, Pionk's really stepped up tremendously this season uh, in terms of the way that he's playing the game. Uh, And so you look and you've got outstanding goaltending. So you think about pieces that you need to be competitive, not only in the regular season, but to, you know, potentially make a really solid run in the playoffs. And the Jets have all those pieces. And it seems as though right now they're just kind of finding their stride in terms of putting all those you know, pieces together and in terms of being committed right for an entire game. And, and so, yeah, they're on a great stretch right now. And I mean, personally being a forward, like I said, I like to see all that fun chemistry. There's been some beautiful goals. Uh, so I think there's a lot to be excited about in Winnipeg.
1: Yeah. And one of Gen those B? forwards, sorry, Sean, uh, oh, yeah. Paul Stastny, uh, I, mentioned this by text yesterday I think yes you being a cerebral player and a person who is always versatile what do you appreciate most in in watching his game both on the ice and having that ability to be a connector and what that means to a team
2: oh I mean that I think that's something that I was always focused on right if I could be on the ice or on the bench and making my teammates better and I feel like with Stassi that's what you see he's so engaged on every play and whether it's being committed to his, his player off the face-off or the, the the finish offensively or making a beautiful pass. You know, when you watch him play, it's just that, that constant engagement of, you know, working hard when he has the puck for some beautiful plays, but it's also his effort away from the puck and what's he doing to make the other players on the ice better. And so, yeah, he's he's amazing to watch, I think, because of the number of, of I think, levels, right, and different elements that he brings to his game that, of course, It'd be, it would be nice and, and fun and enjoyable for, for other players to get the chance to play with him because he's focused on, on bringing that engagement and naturally that's going to create opportunities and space and, and good chances for those of the, that are on the ice with him.
0: Jennifer, I want to kind of explore the idea of, of the mental toughness of this team. I think you're a great person to do it with. Um, just the fact that this team really doesn't lose back-to-back games, uh, and they come with that mindset where they say they try, try to get a chip on their shoulder every time they lose. I mean, that's not easy to do. If it was as easy to do as as they know as just saying it, other teams would do it. They're yeah. They're extremely good at what goes into being that team that can be that mentally tough for that duration throughout a regular season to be a team that really has yet to slump so far this.
2: Mm-hmm. And that's a credit to uh, a number of people, right? In terms of your coach and, and Maurice, he's always very insightful, and I think that's contagious to your team. But also, you know, the the chemistry and that you have and the dynamic on a group to to be invested in that and to. To not panic, but to respond. Right? If you if you lose a game, it's it's not getting you know disappointed, saying well, what can we learn from this and be better for the next game. And you've seen that with the Jets uh, consistently throughout the year to say well, what can we learn from that and let's be motivated to be better next time when we hit the ice. And uh, like I said, I think players and coaching staff deserve credit for that. Uh, and, and it's just it's that response, right? Being being excited and embracing the opportunity to be better instead of you know being in a negative spiral or, or disappointed. It's saying, okay, let's learn and let's be better.
0: Jennifer, one more before you go. You've been at the forefront of women's hockey for for s- since the '90s, and uh, not only that, but in the broadcasting side of things as well. How would you describe the change and the gains that women's hockey and women in hockey have made since you first came onto the scene?
2: You know, well, what's my my uh, uh, overall description? I would say, yes, we have made some great strides. Uh, we still want to see improvement, but I think it's nice to see that steps are being taken in the right direction. And if you look at women in hockey, uh, An example, you you reflect on 1998, the first time women's hockey was involved in the Olympics. And there was an explosion in growth at the grassroots level. And it's interesting because I think we're seeing a little bit of a parallel now with um, the Professional Women's uh, Hockey Players Association, where the PWHPA wants this sustainable professional league. And it's not just for those elite players, but their vision is saying, well, what's the influence, the impact this can have on young athletes at the age of five and six and seven and eight that want to play the game. And so I think we see that potential uh, with the games at Madison Square Garden last weekend, in Chicago this weekend, and a game down the road in Toronto. You're seeing NHL teams step up to say, we believe in this vision for a sustainable professional league. And I think that's what's so great about the Players Association is that they want this for the, the long term. And then if you talk about women in hockey and in different roles, uh, it's great to see if you look at you know Blake Bolden and Cami Granado that are in different scouting positions uh, and I think or in broadcasting whatever it might be uh, it's I think it should be a choice uh, you know it you need to be qualified and, and 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 have a solid background to be able to contribute but I guess the hope is similar to kids that have the choice to play women's hockey it should be a choice whether it's uh, an executive role an administration role Uh, Whatever role it is in hockey, it should be, regardless of race or gender, that that should be a choice for everyone. And so, you know, I think you look at people have uh, sort of taken some strides, uh, but we also are hopeful that it's going to continue in this direction.
0: Well, Jennifer, you mentioned steps in the right direction. In my personal opinion, it was a big step in the right direction to add you as an analyst. uh, We love seeing your work. And it was a massive leap in the right direction for the (laughs) Kenny and Rennie live show to have you on. (laughs) Thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate your time and your analysis. It was great having you.
2: Oh, pleasure. Really nice to see you both. Thanks for the time.
0: Thank you so much. So let's touch quickly, Kenny, on Paul Stastny just just quickly because we've got cj who's going to be coming into the show right away um what did you see from him last night because to me i I think all year we've seen a guy who's doing all the right things behind the scenes figuring out things on the ice but to me he's starting to take that extra step that extra level where he's not just a guy who helps you in the dressing room he's not just the guy who helps you psychology wise he's not just the guy who's doing the right things around the ice but he's a guy who's starting to play like a star
1: Absolutely, Sean. We knew he was going to have that off the ice impact because of the quick connection he made with Mark Scheifele when he was acquired initially back in 2018. Uh, I think he's found his. He definitely. It took him a few games to find his stride, for lack of a better term, and that's not uncommon for a veteran player without, you know, without exhibition games or just a limited training camp. He's just starting not only to, he's really starting to flourish. I mean, he's always in the right position. Everyone wants to play in his line. He's adaptable. He's able to move from center to wing seamlessly. And he's so smart. Uh, I mean, again, people will say, oh, well, it, there, it was a lucky bounce, Blake Wheeler finding uh, Paul Stastny at the front of the net. Well, I mean, there was some debate as to whether it was an actual kicking motion. Yeah, Paul Stastny knew exactly where that puck was going. Yeah, and, and exactly uh, how
0: to redirect it, yeah. Exactly.
1: Without without breaking the rules of the game, yeah. For, for sure. And then the other part of that, his second goal, because he's a pass-first player... Jake Allen is basically waiting for Paul Stastny to make a pass, and what does he go? Go, you know, roof daddy with the shot. I mean, uh, just a, he's such a smart player. You can use him in every situation. Uh, he is, again, much like Andrew Kopp at the start of the year. He's another defensively conscious element when he plays on that line with Blake Wheeler and Mark Shifley, and he's such a smart player on the power play. Even on the times where he's not touching the puck as often, he knows exactly where it's going, And that threat of having that shot from the slot is as important as any time he touches the puck. So for me, he's really starting to excel. And just his infectious enthusiasm for the game uh, is rubbing off on his teammates. And that engagement that we talked about with Jen uh, is so apparent. I mean, this is a guy who loves talking about hockey, loves to learn, and is always trying to get better. Uh, To do that at his experience level and his reflective nature is also so important you hear it in how he spoke about what it means for him he knows he doesn't know how, how many times will i have an opportunity to go back to the bell center uh, yeah. as a guy who was born in quebec uh, who knows the history of the game who appreciates and respects the history of the game uh, and the fact that he's able to elevate his game uh, going into that building at an important moment for the winnipeg jets uh, just tells you all you need to know about paul stastny and uh, i know he's on an expiring contract but I wouldn't be surprised at all, Sean. I you you and I've talked about this. I wouldn't be surprised if the Jets offered him another contract, if it's a one-year deal. I mean, it's not going to be a Joe Thornton, uh, seven hundred thousand dollar deal. But you know, Paul's made a lot of money in his career. I think uh, I think he would consider uh, sticking around longer than one year, uh, as long as the two teams found some common ground. But that wouldn't surprise me at all. And that's a question that I've been getting uh, from a lot of Jets fans lately.
0: You know what tells me all I need to know about Stastny is the look on his face after he scored these goals the last couple of games. He is absolutely loving life with the Winnipeg Jets he's happy to be here he fits in so to your points I mean uh you, you, at that stage of your career you can look at going out and sometimes playing hockey in the in the hinterlands or you can go and try and win a cup somewhere or you can be where you're comfortable well I mean he essentially gets all three if he, can, <laughs> if, he if he goes to Winnipeg right I mean they're going to be a cup contender by the looks of it for some time. Uh, and he gets to be here and be part of that if he sticks around. Uh, like you said, he's made his money. So he's definitely a guy who realizes where he's at in his career and and uh, probably has a very good idea of where he wants to be.
1: Yeah, and the other thing, I understand, people were skeptical, you know, when, uh, when the Jets lost out on the bidding uh, for... Paul Stastny's services when he signed with the Vegas School of the Knights. It's always one of those things where, oh yeah, he, yeah, sure, he enjoyed his time here. You know what I mean? But this is a guy who legitimately did enjoy his time here. And when I spoke to him for that my extensive feature for Sportsnet.ca in the off-season, he reiterated that his wife told him, you know, I always had a feeling we'd go back to Winnipeg. There was this, uh, you know, theory of unfinished business there uh, after that great run in 2018. So. Uh, he's embraced that. This is a guy who is so determined. He he wants his name on that Stanley Cup. He wants his name engraved on the cup, and he believes that he can can do that here in Winnipeg uh, eventually.
0: All right, let's bring in our next guest. Chris Johnston is joining us, and uh, so happy to have him on. A guy that we just love. Every moment we get to spend with him usually it's a playoff runner. I think we I spent some time with him in the bubble last. I guess you didn't get to Kenny. You you were on opposite sides of the country when that happened. But CJ, welcome to the program. So happy that you did this with us.
3: Yeah, good to be here. Welcome to my uh, kitchen.
0: <laughs> Excellent. <Friday> morning coffee. <laughs> that's that's the the new uh the new uh, sports journalism is we get a very oh. intimate look at everybody's house and, and you just have to position that camera properly so no one sees
3: all the mess that's gathering around your feet. Um, yeah, that, that's a worry. I also live in a condo with all windows, so I'm always, back. I'm always backlit. I mean, this yeah. is a problem I never thought I'd have, but uh, <laughs> 2020 2021. here we are.
0: you got to get them to set the, send the lighting kit in for you, like the rest of the guys on the panel. So get, get, get them to give you the option of doing it at the desk
3: and at home. Well, there's nowhere to set it up here. I mean we, we don't have a lot of space, so I'm trying to try to keep it very minimalist
0: yes, Toronto living. um we got to get to the news of the day and clearly, uh, Walter Gretzky's passing is massive, massive news in the hockey world. Uh, your thoughts when when you heard the news?
3: Well, just you know profound sadness, but also you know a lot of respect for you know a great life lived. you know Walter was uh, touched a lot of people. you know I think that that you know when when you get sort of once you process a death of course and and you know I didn't really know Walter personally so it it didn't hit me in that way you just think like man like how many people across the country have a a picture or a story have shared a handshake with him you know have his autograph whatever whatever it may be I, I just think that you know I remember even when I was a kid watching hockey he was always kind of prevalent in Wayne's career in terms of they show him during the games and and was there for his big moments and I just think of him being a gentleman. You know there's a lot of stories about people just driving up to the family home in Brantford, where you know he lived right up until the time of his death in the same house where where Wayne and his siblings were raised and and he would you know invite you in and show you, you know memorabilia he had in the basement. I mean, just just a true sort of simple guy, and I don't mean that in a in any way in an insulting way, but just never never got a big head about the accomplishments of, of his son that he, that he raised and sort of became Canada's son, I think for a time. And, and that's why he's being remembered as Canada's hockey dad today.
0: What, what do you think are his contributions to the culture of the game?
3: Well, I think the certain graciousness or humbleness is something a lot of Canadians can connect with um, that. He just remained real. You know, let's face it. There's sort of a cult of celebrity a little bit around people that, that, you know, gain a lot of notoriety in the public eye, you know, not just athletes, it's entertainers. It can even be people in media. And, and, you know, the fact that Walter kind of remained the dad who lived down the street from you, that would be looking out for your kids, that would be, you know, helping you in any way he could. I think that there's something really powerful in that it's, it's, as I say, it's sort of a simple thing because it, it's, it's not, as always trying to was ever trying to draw any attention to himself, but um, you feel, you felt like you knew Walter, even if you didn't. And, and, you know, I think that's a real compliment. That, that's, as I say, a real mark of a, a great life lived, you know, sort of had a, a joyous spirit about him, you know, always looked to be having fun. Can't remember who it was. It would have been James Duffy on the TSM panel last night, but someone was saying they saw him at the turn Olympics and he was always dancing. I mean, that <laughs> there's just just a spirit there. And so, you know, it's hard, it's hard for me to assess, you know, really what the, the impact is on, on, I think he just, he just showed you how to live by the way he lived and, you know that's that's a really nice thing uh, when you think about it, and you know I'm I'm sorry that he's gone already. I'm sure difficult for their family, but 82 years is a great great life lived, and and you know he touched so many people.
0: I, I remember seeing uh, at the 2002 Olympics some behind the behind the scenes footage, uh, and there's a point where he's. Traveling with Team County becomes such a big part of that team, right? Gretzky's retired. He's in charge of that team uh, at Salt Lake City. Uh, and he brings his dad along for everything. And there's this point where they get off the plane and they're kind of milling around. And there's so much pressure on this Canadian team. They didn't medal at the last Olympics. It's gold or nothing. Uh, and they get off the plane and and they look over and you can see kind of the mountains in the background. And, and Walter Gretzky looks over and he says, yep. There's gold in them hills. And the <laughs> the, the, the entire team said they talked about it. It just like that melted everything in the moment, like all the tension, all the pressure they were feeling. And I just wonder having access to that kind of person who is able to take those moments and, and the pressure uh, and how you handle that pressure and, and and being able to kind of melt away that pressure, the effect that he had on Wayne Gretzky, who faced so much pressure throughout his entire career.
3: Right. And I think when we're even assessing sort of his impact more broadly, that, that perfectly encapsulates it. Maybe he didn't take things too seriously. You know, the ho- hockey parents in general, I think, have a rap, you know, a little bit of uh, being too involved in their kids' lives, too crazy. The dad pounding on the glass, you know, sort of these these images that, that you know, we, we've all seen, you know, covered in, in media and what have you. And, you know, he always seemed to think a little bit more to be just a, a gentle guiding hand, not not as forceful not putting you know extra pressure on his kids and and you know I think in that moment you're describing that that's sort of what he's doing there for team Canada you know I think that um, maybe maybe a little bit less of the the, the domineering force in his, his kids lives uh, and just just sort of steered them you know more quietly in the right direction let them pursue their passions and obviously Wayne's passion took him right to the pinnacle of our sport
1: yeah The other thing too, CJ, for me, he was such an ambassador for the game and he wanted you to enjoy the game also, right? Wasn't that a big part of his personality and persona? He wanted you to love the game as much as he did. Right. And anyone who
3: would, you know, show up at his house and you take him into your basement. I mean, just think about that. He's like, obviously that's a pride in his son. He's sharing, you know, the, the accomplishments of their family, but it's, it's, it's lighting that spark about the game too. It's, it's, you know, there's a magic to hockey. That's, that's why I'm working in the industry. I'm sure you guys have similar feelings, you know, long before I was ever getting paid to do this. I just love the sport to a degree that has propelled me to where I sit here talking to you today about it. And and so I think that he recognized that spark in people and wanted to foster it. And, and you know, I'm, I'm not sure I'd, I'd be uncomfortable bringing a stranger into my house right now. I don't have a whole lot of hockey memorabilia in here, but I'm just saying like, like that's, that's a real gift to be open like that and to want to share that with people. And, and, you know, again, I think that's why a lot of people that didn't even really know him in a personal way or, you know, kind of feel uh, the, the loss, you know, when when they, they learned that he died.
0: CJ, you just used the term that there's magic in hockey. One of the things I absolutely love about you as a reporter is you've never lost that feeling of every time I'm around you, you're a guy who appreciates the job that you have the position that you have and the moments that you have. And I remember one of the first times we worked together was in the 2016 cup final. And you told me this story, this surreal moment you had where, you know, your phone rang and you looked down and it said Wayne Gretzky on it because he was calling, you know, for, for a story that you had something to do with. I I love getting these behind the scenes stories from guys. It doesn't have to be specifically that, but give me a moment in your career where something happened, you met someone or or, or, or that that just really kind of gave you that moment of like, is this my life? I can't believe this is my life.
3: Well, I'm fortunate that I I could choose from a number of stories that, 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 that <laughs> Bill, you know, the one that I think stands out most to me personally um, was in, at the Sochi Olympics in 2014, uh, the team, the, the men's team wins gold and it's sort of a mix zone set up for the media. We do that. And then I was walking through the hallway back to where, You would write your stories, the media room, would have you. And I bumped into Bob Nicholson, who at the time was still running Hockey Canada before he'd gone to Edmonton. He's like, CJ, come with me. We're going to have a glass of wine. And he pulls me into this little sort of restaurant roomy thing. And it's literally all of Team Canada within an hour of them winning the gold medal where they're celebrating kind of their win. You know, it wasn't like a party where people are spraying champagne around the room. But, you know, it, it was any of their friends and family that were there. Obviously, the coaching staff, management staff. Hockey Canada staff and me, and and you know, I, I got to, to, you know, have a beer with them essentially and mill about with some of the guys I knew. And, you know, I didn't make any, you know, I didn't act like a reporter in that moment. I really just acted like a proud Canadian who, you know, got to drop into a party that he really had no business being at. I mean, that's, that's truly the case in, in this specific story. But, you know, for me, the Olympics, like if you were there selling popcorn, you would have no choice but to reflect on your life and, and you'd feel a certain pride about it. I, I can't explain it. There's like kind of a magic in that too. Um, you get to the Olympics, you know, I'm not like an outwardly proud Canadian. I'm not painting my face red on July 1st. You know, obviously I have a pride in our country, but uh, when you get to the Olympics, you feel something different. And so for me to just have been there, I think, uh, you know, I was that whole two or three week experience, you know, you're reflecting on your parents, your, your friends, anyone who had a positive impact on your life For for my case, to be able to go from a small town to, to have a job or, I'm in Russia in the middle of the Olympics and getting to, to cover all that, and then all of a sudden, you know, I'm I have at least a small place in this this room where, you know, all these people that, that had done something, you know, pretty great and you know the pinnacle kind of of their lives, their sporting lives, um, you know, that that was that's one that really stands out. I'm, I'm I'm actually really grateful to Bob. I I think it was just luck, honestly. Obviously, we we knew each other he sees me at that moment for some reason he grabs me. He's probably excited that they'd won a lot of pressure off his shoulders. And, you know, I actually brought a pint glass home from that room, uh, just every once in a while to remind myself that like, I don't really know how, uh, how I really found myself there, but I'm grateful that I did.
0: Well, you could call it luck CJ, but, uh, the work that you've done and the respect that you've cultivated through your work plays a big role in you getting in there in that moment. Kenny, you have any kind of realization moments like that?
1: Yeah. You know what, uh, Wayne Gretzky once called our our house at uh, 680 Fleet. Uh, I was doing a story on the closing of the Winnipeg Arena. Uh, I and naturally you'd been waiting all day for the call, and you're, for, you're you know you feel fortunate that it's going to come. But it's you know Friday afternoon, and you leave the office. Uh, you get home to find out that there was a mysterious phone call at the Winnipeg Sun building. Wayne didn't leave a message because he was scared that someone else would just start talking to him and steal the story. So again, classic Gretzky move. He knows his importance and he also knows what the importance is to you. So uh, naturally he did, you know, he called my home number as well. I walked into the door and my two roommates are absolutely beside themselves. Like they're, they're, they answer, they're like, yeah, it's Wayne Gretzky. is Ken, is, is Ken home. And they're like, holy smokes, it's Wayne Gretzky. So they hand me the phone and naturally they're, uh, you know, Travis Wall is, you know, fist pumping and like texting his friends. I just talked to Wayne Gretzky and, uh, and he couldn't have been more kind. And my other Gretzky moment was another classic. Uh, I was again waiting for his call. I'm out to lunch, uh, grabbing a, a sub at Quiznos, and he calls right in the middle of my order, and he says just grab a pen so i'm literally transcribing quotes from Wayne Gretzky on the back of a of a quizno's <laughs> catering uh order form it was just uh, uh, i mean he's just such an iconic figure and i mean for me wayne or mario Lemieux is also my favorite player growing up so uh, i did have a brief interaction with him in pittsburgh a couple of years ago i was going down to speak with eric fair uh, after the after the uh, pregame warm up and and there's mario standing in front of me and i mean i'm at that point, you're like, do you say anything? Do you not? I just said, you know, why not? I just stood, I extended my hand. I said, Mario, you're my favorite player growing up. When I was 13 years old, you played a game at Winnipeg Arena. I was sitting two rows behind the bench in a Penguins jersey. Badger Bob said hello. And uh, he said, hey, watch that 66, kid. And, uh, and he, he chuckled, uh, and he went on to the elevator. And I mean, it's just one of those things where... Uh, We're around great people and athletes all the time, and that's part of the business, and it's normal, but that was one of those moments that kind of almost stops you in your tracks, and uh, he couldn't have been more kind, and I said, I mean, it was one of those times where I I wish I had asked the security guard to take a picture, but I think, as people always say, it's that mental picture that you'll always have with you, and that the interaction was so kind. I mean, you always hear the phrase, you know, never meet your heroes because they never live up to the standard. Uh, that couldn't have been more false when it came to Mario Lemieux. He, he could not have been more kind.
0: CJ, you're a cowboy fan, right? I am, yes. Yeah. So I grew it's up in affliction. Cowboy- Yeah, these days. Yeah, I I mean, I went to high school in the 90s. uh, So I was right in the heart of the best time ever to be a Cowboys fan. Uh, And a couple of years back, I covered the, the Super Bowl in Houston, where Tom Brady has the miracle comeback against Atlanta. And so we have to set up a Tim and Sid hit with Michael Irvin. And so we go to his hotel and set up in the business center. And uh Michael Irvin's doing the first hour of Tim and Sid and I'm gonna go on the next hour and when he's done like I'm this diehard Cowboys fan and it always kills me that in the 95 NFC divisional championship uh Deion Sanders just absolutely gets away with murder on Michael Irvin just like penalty after penalty and it's not getting called and it always drove me nuts and so when he finished uh his his thing I I just couldn't help myself and I, I was like doesn't it drive you nuts what Deion Sanders got away with in that 95 championship and and he turned and he thought I was like jawing him and he's like oh man you cut me deep here right now and, and Ryan Moynes is with us and Moynes is like no no you don't get it this guy's a diehard Cowboys fan he won't shut up about this game back in 95 and then he comes over and then for the we've got he he finishes an hour later I'm going on Tim and Sid and it's the Super Bowl. And he's Michael Irvin. He can go anywhere he wants. And he sat there for that hour and talked with us. And, you know, he's you, people talk about, like, you'll get around professional athletes. And if you're in a scrum with a professional athlete, they'll tell a really bad joke. And for the most part, everyone laughs really hard because it's just nice to have some levity, right? But that guy could do stand-up. He's hilarious. And at some point, uh, Moinesy says to him, which of your Super Bowl rings are you going to wear on air? And he said, Oh, I forgot my Super Bowl ring. So he hops on. He calls his brother who's driving down from Dallas. And he says, he says, yeah, I need you to stop by the house and go in the safe and get my Super Bowl rings. He's like, no, no, you know where they are. They're over here. And you can hear him kind of starting to his brother starting to jam in the background. (laughs) And the line, it was hilarious because he says to him, he says, hey, hey, you bring those rings or I'll put my hands on you. I'm kidding. But I ain't lying. And we, we just cracked up laughing because it was just it, he was a hilarious guy. So generous with his time. And uh, those are just the best moments for us uh, when we get into this kind of stuff uh, as we get paid to talk sports. And speaking of getting paid to talk sports, we should get back at it. Uh, Calgary Flames firing Jeff Ward and bringing in Daryl Sutter, uh, the second casualty so far in the North Division. Uh, were you surprised?
3: I was surprised with Daryl Sutter. You know, I'm not necessarily surprised to see the, the, the shoe drop in some ways in Calgary, because it's pretty clear uh, that Brad tree living wasn't happy with the direction of his team. You know, that it kind of really sputtered, uh, you know, in the middle part of this, this season so far, but, you know, I didn't see Daryl Sutter coming. I didn't hear any rumors about that. Didn't see any out there. And then, you know, that, that news landed pretty late last night. Um, You know, I, I can understand it on, on one sense. We've, we've seen lots of teams and lots of sports. The Jays brought back Gas, Gasson, for example, at one point. I mean, I, I, you like to sort of go into your past and think that you might channel something. But I am fascinated to see how this one works out because, you know, with respect to Daryl, he's not exactly today's man in the sense of, you know, his approach and, you know, the the way we've seen, you know, a lot of teams go, whether it's the Leafs going with Sheldon Keefe or Dominic Ducharme in Montreal, kind of more... um you know, they have a specific style with how they communicate with players. I think, you know, maybe a softer touch than, than what you think of as the old school hockey coach. And, you know, that's not the way, of course, we describe Daryl Sutter over, you know, what's been a great career for him.
0: Now, would the idea be that they've tried the softer touch in Calgary for a couple of years now and it really hasn't worked?
3: I think so. I mean, look, th- th- they strike me as an organization that, you know, they've had doubts about their team for a while. You know what I mean? They keep trying to run it back and... You know, it, it, uh, quite frankly, I think if there was a good enough trade market at, at some point for either Sean Monahan or Johnny Goodrow, they would have already moved on. You know, I think that they've certainly had those discussions the last two summers with other teams. But, you know, when it came down to the sort of cost-benefit analysis, trading them for for not equal value didn't make sense. You know, they didn't have to go to, to for going sake, but they couldn't get back something that made enough sense for them. Uh, so, you know, I, I see this as a little bit of a Hail Mary in the late stages because, you know, I think they're going to encounter potentially those questions again, unless maybe they turn the season around, you know, it's not impossible. You're dealing with a short season here. You know, I don't think the flames, I think they have underperformed, you know, compared to their talent level. You know, I had them as being a team, I thought could actually challenge for the division lead entering the season. And they're not in that position now that they're, they're, they're scraping fighting for a playoff spot, but you know, th- there is a scenario where this plays out where they this turns our season everyone gets on board you know they have a playoff run i, I don't think that's impossible and, may, and that changes certainly how this offseason looks that's coming but you know this this is this is sort of a hail mary kind of scenario uh, in my opinion uh, to to try to get what they can out of that team in this short season and you know jobs are on the line you know that in a few cities but but in Calgary especially
0: Ken, I know you want to get in on this. Just I want to bring in this viewer comment here quickly because I find it fascinating. Is it fair to call Sutter old school because his Kings teams were possession juggernauts? Interesting idea of, of him being ahead of the curve analytically, if not maybe ahead of the curve in how he treats his teams.
3: Yeah, I meant old school specific to how he, he talks to the players. I mean, when he was Kings coach at one point, they barricaded him out of the dressing room. In yeah. <laughs> like The players didn't want to hear from him anymore. I mean, that that is the opposite of the John Cooper style. Or, you know, even Sheldon Key, for example, in Toronto, I've gotten to know fairly well. Like he's not as outwardly eff- effervescent as someone like Cooper. But I know that there's a lot of give and take with the players. It's, it's a little bit less, you know, it's not John Tortorella, you know, hard ass. You know which is where daryl sutter is you know it, look it's worked i'm not suggesting at all that it can't work it's just not the the trend line we've seen i would say across the industry and so look i i get i get what they're thinking and, and i'm i'm not gonna take a run at, at what daryl sutter's ever accomplished or anything like that i just don't know if it will work now right now uh that there's a different dynamic with players and coaches that, that's evolved over time um but certainly from a hockey standpoint um, look, he, he was he was hired in the middle of that season, I think, when they won the 2012 Cup, right? So he, he's also been proven to get a, a pretty good shockwave out of a team. And then 2013, if I recall, they went to the Western Conference Final 2014. They won a Stanley Cup. I mean, it, it, it got the Kings over the top at that point in time. I just don't know if Calgary has all the pieces they need to have that kind of run under him.
1: Speaking of coaching changes, CJ, uh, what are your early impressions of the uh, Dom Ducharme era with the Montreal Canadiens?
3: This is an interesting one because I, I think that this is someone if given a long enough period of time, it's going to work in Montreal, but I don't know if he's going to get extended that. And, and so obviously, you know, a little bit slow out of the gate in terms of results, but, you know, I've seen and, and heard from people that watch the, the Canes closer than I do that, that you know, you seen already a lot of stylistic change to how they play. You know, I, I do think he's a good coach, but, you know, we all know he's got the interim label, basically everyone in their front office um, and coaching staff is, is either on an expiring contract or one that expires after next season. But, you know, they're they're literally an organization that if if this doesn't go well, if, if they aren't able to turn around, if they miss the playoffs, you know, I think that you could see pretty widespread change there, which may include, you know, Dominic Ducharme not being brought back. And so, you know, that that is the question to me. Does he get a long enough timeline to, to do everything he wants to do? It, it's hard to take over any team midseason, I think, in terms of really affecting the change envision in, in you want it, it's especially hard in this schedule you know it's it's this is a demanding schedule for every team in the league you know, basically play every other day or even more than that on average um you know between now and the end of the regular season they've not really got the goaltending they, they'd hope to get and that that affects you know what you're doing I think of that game in Winnipeg where they they had the puck the whole night and still lose, lose in overtime um and so they only get one point so you know I like the change I like what he brings but i i just wonder if he'll get the leash he needs to to really show his best
0: all right cj ring the bell ding ding it's time for the big showdown canadians i don't or sorry the jets i don't want to put them too far down the road because they have to play the canadians yet but they've put themselves in a position where regardless what happens when they go into toronto next week it's going to be number one versus number two Uh, i had an argument with borno from sportsnet a couple weeks back online about which of these two teams is the deepest in canada uh your thoughts of the showdown between two teams that are increasingly setting themselves apart from the rest of the group
3: well, it's it's going to be interesting from the Leafs' end because they had a series, I don't know if it was three or four weeks ago, it was when Claude Julien was still coaching. That you know, At that point, Toronto Montreal were 1-2, and yeah. that was sort of played up. And then they just went to Edmonton, and, and Edmonton had been on that really hot run where they'd won 11 of 13 games. They were 1-2, and that was played up in Toronto ended up taking all three games versus the Oilers. So, you know, that that will be interesting to me is they've kind of, from the leaf side of things where they've been leading the division basically from the first day of the season, you know, they, they've sort of been through this before. And, and, you know, I wonder, you know, how they'll kind of respond to that. Um, but, you know, I, I think it's fair. This is probably the real one too, I guess is the way I see it. Um, you know, the, the fact that that Hellbuck to me is kind of like the, the swing position when, when looking at the team's you know, I think Winnipeg is a team—not just Toronto, but anyone really doesn't want to face because they, they are so deep, you know, especially offensively. I know they, they give up a lot defensively, but he's someone that could still win you the game. And and you know, this division's a little bit short on that. You know, if with Kerry Price no longer being the Carey Price of old, at least at least so far, what we've seen this year and last year, uh, other than in the bubble, I guess. You know, he's the goalie that would scare me the most if you're the if you feel you're the better team. He could still be a bit of an equalizer there. So um i love seeing these three games in a row when when you have teams that are competing for that you know the leafs are very mindful you know you guys are following the jets much more closely on a daily basis than i am but i know the leafs are very mindful of their position in the standings they've talked a lot about it they don't shy away from not just wanting to win the division but they want to win the division by you know as many points as possible i think they want to prove beyond doubt that they're the, the team to beat in the north and so I think they'll be up for those games and, and you know, it'll be decided on the ice. I, I think it's a little too soon for anyone to say with, with absolute certainty which team is the best. But but I love when you see them play one, two, three, because I, I do think it does sort of prove prove out what we're, we're thinking about the, the, the respective sides.
1: How, is, uh, how did Sheldon Keefe get the defensive buy-in, CJ? I don't watch the Leafs as closely as you do, but that element of back pressure seems like it's uh, really elevated this year in terms of their defensive play Uh, they know that when they have the puck few teams can handle them and also the second part of that question what impact has TJ Brody had on that back end in that Mm -hmm. quiet defense position
3: well for TJ it's actually given the Leafs a real top four you know I think that that's that's a real that that's a change that that's personnel driven uh, because the Leafs have really struggled to find a partner for Morgan Riley that allowed Morgan to be used you know, basically in any situation against any competition to play him as much as they want. And that's not necessarily a Morgan problem, but, but he's a more offensively instinctive defenseman. He skates the puck really well. They like using him for zone entries. And so, you know, you need a responsible partner. I think that that can offset some of the the things that Morgan does best and they just haven't had it. I mean, it's in some games last year, it was Cody CC and, and, You know, not to pick on Cody, who's been picked on a lot by two different Canadian fan bases. I I think, you know, if you have him on your roster, you want him on your third pairing, not your first or second. Um, You know, the Leafs have had probably low-key the best Leafs acquisition in the last two years, in my opinion, is the Jake Muzzin trade that the Kyle Dubas made. Just because Jake, he won't do very many things you notice, but defensively, he's. Excellent. He breaks up the cycle in the leaf own zone better than almost, you know, any player they have and, and then gets to, the, you know, a pretty high-powered offense going the other way. You know, they found a really nice partner in Justin Hall for him, you know, who counts as one of those, you know, defensemen I'm sure most people around the NHL really don't know much about, but is full value for a spot there. And so now they, they really have a top four and and, and they, they, have, they definitely have not had that any of the past seasons uh, that they trusted. And, and so I think that helps. And the, the buy-in you're seeing is is though is the forwards. It's it's the guys that score a lot of goals and put up a lot of points. Um, you know, playing with that that top four. I, I think really what's happened is it's it's a confluence of events. You know, this is the fifth year in the league for for Matthews and, and Marner and, and Nylander, and they're tired of not getting past the first round. You know, that they've you know even though they haven't won the individual trophies, you know, the way McDavid, and will have they're tired of season, seeing their season end, you know, after the first round of the playoffs. And so I think they, they seized on the opportunity of, of losing in the play round to Columbus in the bubble uh, in August to really be hard on this group, to really challenge them. I know that there was a level of communication in the off season that the players themselves had never seen, you know, Sheldon Keefe, Kyle Dubas, other members of the Leafs staff were all over these guys. And I think, you know, I think you're seeing the dividends of it. Honestly, the Leafs had almost their entire team back skating in Toronto, in November, uh, You know, training camp didn't open until January 3rd. Um, you know, I just think that, that they approach this season knowing it's kind of this season or bust in some ways. I mean, it's a different situation than Calgary that I was outlining earlier. I don't think there'll be a massive firings if they lose in the first round again, but there could be change. You know, you might see someone like William Melander become available. I, I just don't think you'll see the Leafs run back with the, the same core they have if it doesn't work again. And so, I, I've seen a business-like approach. I, I think Sheldon Keefe has their attention because of, you know, some of the things that have happened in the past. And I, I think he's a really good coach too. And so, you know, the, the Leafs are seeing this works. I mean, I actually didn't check this morning, but as of two days ago, they had allowed the fourth fewest goals per game in the league and the sixth fewest shots per game in the league. And no Leafs team in recent memory was ever close to those kind of metrics. And they continue to, to lead the league in goals for. So, you know, they're, they're, they're producing elite, defensive results while still being you know one of the most dangerous teams offensively and I think that's a recipe that could carry them pretty far.
0: CJ uh, one of our viewers Cal Thorpe here thinking exactly where I was going with the next question wanted to lean on your insider status and the Jets a lot of people will take a look at their defense core and think that you know they're a defenseman away from potentially uh from potentially being a true contender uh i know that kenny's got an article coming out on matthias Eckholm today who who both he and i agree would be a phenomenal fit for that team hearing names like david savard out there what do you think the chances are that the jets take action and try and bring in some help on on the back end before it's all said and done
3: i would say they're reasonably high um, you know, we all know that trades are really difficult to execute under these conditions. And, and that that that's something shared by all organizations. But, you know, I think when you're in the position the Jets are where, you know, they've, they've been knocking at the door. Obviously, they had that run of the Western Conference final a few years ago. But, you know, big shakeup with the line A trade. But you, you've kind of brought back the, the same core again and again. You, you believe in these guys. You've paid them. You've locked them in. I think you have to give them the best chance to, to win. And, you know, I, I do believe that the the Jets internally see some of the same shortcomings, or, or you know, it's probably not the right way to put it, but they, they see that the where that kind of addition could could be something that sparks what they're doing. I think what's great about Ekholm is that he actually fits the same mold when the Leafs made the Muzzin trade. He's, he's he's you got this year, the rest of this year, and next year. Yeah. So it's not it's not just a pure rental. You, you, if you're able to make that trade now. Yes, there's complications. It's COVID. He's going to sit 14 days in a house or whatever situation they set him up in. It's not perfect, as, as we've seen with Dubois. It's taking him some time to get up and running. But, you know, you also get him next season, and, and perhaps he comes to like the place and you like him, and there's a fit to extend him beyond that, which is, you know, what happened with Muzzin and the Leafs too. So, you know, I, I think it's worth exploring, and, you know, I believe they will. I, I don't – yes, there's challenges – in terms of making trades, but I do think you have to, when you have a team that has a chance to win and, you know, I think Winnipeg should look at this the same way Toronto does. I mean, you only have to be better than eight teams this year to win the Stanley cup. You don't actually have to be the best team in the league. And this is the same of any year, right? Some, some teams get a fortunate bounce, maybe an upset makes it an easier path. But you know, if you're the jets, all you're looking at is this North division. Can we beat any of these teams in a best of seven? Obviously, you have to beat two of them when you get to the playoffs and then you're in the third round. You're down to the final four. And so, you know, that's pretty appealing, I think, for both Toronto and Winnipeg. And I think it's why those are the two teams most likely to make an addition before the trade deadline. And I think there's some pressure to make it soon uh, rather than later, just with the quarantine situation and everything tied to it.
0: CJ, before we let you go, I uh, want to touch on one thing that you've uh, done some work on, your Team Canada roster. And I don't know if you ruffled feathers in these parts, or I don't know if people are happy. You have Mark Shifley on your team, but you have him as the 13th forward. How did he land in that spot in your mind?
3: Well, it's really because I went through my lines, and I knew I couldn't not have Mark Shifley there, and not because of ruffling feathers, just because I think he's he's at that spot where he deserves that role. But it's really easy to say, okay, yeah, you're going to have any player that's sort of not a consensus pick. But then you, when you do the exercise, like you're, you're not not having Sidney Crosby play center for you, you're not having one of Nathan McKinnon or Connor McDavid as a center, probably on the same line. You know, you start going through it. Like Braden Point to me, there's no way I'm leaving him off my roster. Yeah, and
0: so he was phenomenal in that in the bubble last year. He was phenomenal. He's
3: just a gamer, man. Like that's the guy you want for me on a team Canada, like third line. There's no way Braden Point isn't there unless there's some injury situation or something. But, like, if, if he's healthy, I don't think he's being left off. And so it's no disrespect to Mark. And I think the beauty of, of – you know, the reason I went with the 13th center is, look, the lines start one way and they end up a different way at all these events. It's hard to find chemistry, even with elite players, in such a short tournament. And I think he's perfect because you could play him on the wing, in my opinion, in that kind of tournament. But you could also move him up if there's an injury you'd feel very comfortable having him on one of your best lines with your best players. And so, you know, I, I, if people don't like where I placed them, I think really they should focus on the fact that I have him as one of the 13, because, you know, first of all, we're a year out and, and things could change. But, but secondly, I just don't see him at this point when when you're doing this as a sort of a, what do I call it? An exercise, like a mental exercise, you're not putting him above, above Crosby, above McDavid, above McKinnon, even for me above point in the lineup and so he ends up on the fourth line or as an extra. but I, but I do think what, what I love about him is I would play him on any of the lines you know if they needed to, if it wasn't working or if there's an injury, what have you.
0: CJ, I like your explanation and I believe that if you have ruffled some feathers, you just successfully smoothed them. We really appreciate you stopping in. and uh, we'd love to have you join us in the future if you're able to.
3: Yeah, anytime, and and honestly, you ruffle feathers no matter what. I mean, I, I can't. Rem- <laughs> I actually don't have my list in front of me, and I did it a couple of weeks ago. I don't remember who I left off. That would be on the bubble, but you know, I know I didn't have Taylor Hall there. Like, you could you could take issue with anyone. You know, I actually think Canada. The one thing that we get a little too wrapped up in is we could almost choose any collection of the top. Like, if we took the pool of the top twenty-five forwards and we took any thirteen of them, I think they can win. So, you know, while well, we we while well, we sort of get too fine a point on this you know you almost can't make a bad decision
0: it's such a fun argument though i mean it, people have it every time around it's a fun argument to have and and what's wrong with ruffling a little feathers here and there
3: and i like the new blood that's why i really hope this happens because i want to see guys like mark shifley mitch marner even mckinnon mcdavid they haven't had a chance to do best on best in, in a team canada sweater and and like it's time. We all love these players in, in the markets. You know, that's what I love about the North division. We see them playing so much because so many of them play in Canada. Um, but I want to see those guys go against Matthews and Goodrow and all the Americans, Patrick Kane still like that's, that would be epic. And so get this done NHL.
0: Yeah. Long overdue. Uh, Siege. Excellent stuff. Appreciate having you hope to see you in the future on this right back here
3: on this program. Right on boys. Be well.
0: All right, Kenny, we got to get back to a little bit more Jets talk here. uh, And I think we should go in the direction. We've wanted to talk about the three on three with this team for some time. Um, You really are the one who kind of elicited this and, and get the feeling that the Jets are breaking ground on this.
1: It's been interesting. I mean, I, not going to say it's a full-on revolution but and other teams have tried it minimally I think to uh, you know varying degrees of success but you just haven't seen it consistently and the Thursday night game is a great example. Paul Maurice kind of hinted that he wanted to roll with more than one three forward combination and he backed up his words uh, in the game itself. I mean. You went through uh, two combinations. Uh, you, you started off with the Shifley combination. Then they went to Dubois. Then they went to a two forward and one D. And then I think they went to two more three forward groups. I mean, uh, the aggressiveness uh, was excellent. And and the, their ability to defend is ultimately going to define if this is going to be a long, long-term long play. Uh, the results uh, speak for themselves. Obviously, small sample size, but 3-0 and in that scenario so far. And it's not like they're giving up breakaways. Uh, when they're in that situation. I mean, I I love the aggressive nature. Uh, Paul Maurice was very direct in saying that most of the overtime goals are scored by forwards, so why wouldn't you put three forwards out there on a consistent basis? Uh, I like the aggressive nature. We know the NHL is a copycat league, and I think that people around the league, coaches around the league are taking notice, and so are players. We heard it from Mark Scheifele the first time the Jets tried it. I don't know why more coaches don't do this, Yeah, and I think we're going to see more coaches doing it as long as those players have an element of, uh, of defense to them, uh, if you're aggressive, man, you can make life awfully tough uh, on a forward if you're going up against one. So uh, I'm interested to see how it you know goes over the course of, of time here, but I think it's a good strategy, and I do think it's It's the start of something big around the NHL, not just with the Winnipeg Jets. So- well, you
0: talked about Paul Maurice's thoughts on it. Let's hear it directly from the horse's mouth here.
1: So now you, you've got one in the bank. We're trying to score a goal. I'm not saying we're casual about playing defense. Winning that face off is a critical piece to the whole thing, Um, but we're looking to score goals. So it seems to me as this thing has evolved, why wouldn't you put the players that are most capable of scoring goals? So the
0: argument against that, why wouldn't you put the players who are most capable of scoring goals out there is that a lot of times those players will be the ones that are are more likely to be scored on. I tried to ask Paul Maurice about this last night. I think he misunderstood the question. They had to leave quickly. We couldn't re-ask. But the one thing that I was very impressed about, uh, not only is their ability to to uh, win the draw the way that they've done that to start with a puck and then to hold on to that puck. A lot of times they're ending things really quickly so they don't really need to worry about the other team possessing the puck but I thought last night against the Montreal Canadiens when the Canadiens did get the puck that that aggression that you're talking about not only the the mindset of being aggressive putting three forwards out there who can go forwards and win the game for you but the way that those forwards defend is extremely aggressive and uh, I mean I, I'm going to ask him about it again today but I mean the mindset and the capabilities of the Jets forwards who have been out there to defend aggressively not give opposing teams time or space and really force a lot of turnovers to get that possession back I think has been understated and very impressive
1: yeah it's that combination platter too right you're also seeing the examples of patience in the offensive zone where if you don't have a clear path you see a Nikolai Ehlers uh, kind of reset and go back into the neutral zone and try to get an area where you're picking up speed and making uh, life difficult for your opponent. So I agree with you. I, I think that the Jets were excellent uh, in terms of their defending also. I mean, there are usually going to be, uh, you know, prime scoring chances in a three-on-three just because of how much ice and ice is available and how much skill is on the ice uh, from both teams. But I, I agree with you totally. And I mean, the fact that, you know, Andrew Kopp, again, conscientious defensive player, uh, it gets a chance in overtime. And there we we've talked a lot about Matthew Perot this week. Uh, the fact that he was tapped on the shoulder in an overtime scenario says so much about the ability of play he's been able to deliver here as well. And that diligence on the puck, that kind of ability to create chaos, I think is important as well on a three-on-three scenario. Uh, I think I think it is something that can work long term. And and it's got less to do with the, the defenseman on the team. But it, if you can do the job, I think it's a great way to attack. I I love. I think the, in the early stages of three-on-three more teams were passive in terms of the way they defended and they they weren't sure how to attack and i love the attack mentality uh the fact that there is one point in the bank you look at the second as a bonus i mean of course you can't be too risky but you have to be aggressive being passive is not the answer especially in three-on-three hockey
0: it's going to be tough to maintain aggression throughout the month of march it's uh, a really really A grind of a schedule for the Winnipeg Jets Um, and something that they've been preparing for the entire season knowing that this is going to be a tough stretch here so many games so many of them on the road Um, your thoughts on how Paul Maurice is handling this and and the perspective that the Jets are taking on this month.
1: Yeah, we've heard that, that phrase, shift length, uh, pretty much throughout training camp, but more recently, uh, you know, Palm Reese wants more of those 40-second shifts rather than guys hanging out there for, you know, closer to a minute. Uh, I do think that it's important because you do get that full-on energy burst. You don't see that coasting. You don't see the, maybe a guy lost check or things of that nature when you're going with shorter shifts. Uh, I do think at some point here in this in this block of time, you're going to see an in and out element. Uh, First, we're seeing a little bit more ice time being given to the fourth line, which I think is important in this process. Uh, Obviously the Jets, because of their skilled forwards and because of their excellent checking line with Adam Lowry, those guys are gonna need their minutes. So I don't see a massive reduction, but if you have the top, top end guys around the 20 minute mark instead of 23, 24, and that fourth line around the 10 minute mark, it's gonna be a lot easier to handle uh, this grueling stretch of hockey. And I do think we're to the point coming up where the Jets are going to be able to remove the third goalie from the active roster, and then you're going to have that capability to insert some fresh legs when you have the two other examples of back-to-backs here uh, during this month of March
0: well kenny our time together has come to an end although we'll probably just be back on the computer talking <laughs> jets later on today as they have their availability really want to thank jennifer Botterill, uh and cj for coming on the program offering some phenomenal insight uh, I, I was a real big fan of of them on the program today they were both great um, and want to thank everyone who's been tuning in and thank you for all the comments as you can see we're able to get those into the show if you have questions for us or our guests, we love to bring them in. We love to interact with you. Thank you so much for showing up and thank you for tuning in with for, for episode two of Live with Kenny and Rennie. We will see you next Friday.